0: Right, so we're in chapter two now of First Thessalonians chapter two, and last week we had just a short chapter, but we went into a lot of the background. uh, Learned from the book of Acts exactly what was going on in this, to kind of give us some context of why Paul's saying some of the things he's saying and what they're talking about. And then at the end of chapter two, we see where Paul mentioned how uh, mentions Jesus, which delivered us. From the wrath to come. And one of the things that I've been noticing that theologians, and I say that in quotations, often do is whenever they're explaining a verse of scripture, what they'll often do is they'll take a phrase, they'll take a word, and then they give you like a doctrinal statement that they got from some textbook out of it to define that word for you. The problem is in these passages, we don't see any indication of all these other things that they're talking about. And so uh, to me, they're not really proving anything because their textbook's not inspired. That definition they came up with is not expired. There should be some place in the scripture where it's given us all the details of these things where somebody in the Bible wrote about it and told us about it. And I don't have time to go into a lot of the examples I've seen, but I, I just saw a great example of this yesterday from a Calvinist where he just looked at a word And then he said, and then he went and basically quoted a doctrinal statement about that word, but he didn't display anywhere in that passage where it was trying to explain anything that was stated in that doctrinal statement he gave. It's like, you you can't do that. And I realize that's what a lot of people do when it comes to even um, when it comes to their end times doctrine. You know, you see wrath there in chapter 10. Well, let me tell you all what the wrath is. The wrath is the seven-year tribulation okay, are you sure about that? Because I'm not seeing any evidence of that in 1 Thessalonians. Are we sure that's what Paul was talking about? Because wrath can mean a lot of different things. And so one of the things that we're, we're, I want you to be paying attention to that we're kind of doing as we go through 1 Thessalonians is we are forming our definitions of these words based on what has been talked about in this letter, not just what is in our college textbooks or on some doctrinal statement somewhere. It's important that we get that. And so he mentioned the wrath to come in uh, the end of chapter 1, and we're going to see that word used again in chapter 2. And then when I think we look at the context of uh, what's been going on, I think we can understand what that wrath is talking about a little bit. And so let's go ahead and go through chapter 2 and see what we can learn from this. But it says in verse 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Notice a couple things there. First off, last week we showed how um, Paul, first in Acts chapter 16, he's in Philippi. That's that famous story, sirs, what must they do to be saved after they had been beaten? After they had been shamefully entreated, and it's in the very next chapter where Paul goes to Thessalonica, and they have the big problem with the Jews stirring everything up then that's when Paul he gets driven out of the city and he's got to go to Berea where they were more noble than those in Thessalonica we went through all that and he left Timotheus in Thessalonica but Paul so when he's saying the statement you know our entrance in unto you was not in vain he's saying it wasn't for nothing because things were accomplished when Paul was there Yes, it ended bad. Yes, it ended with everybody all fired up and with Paul getting run out of town. But you know what they couldn't do? They couldn't take away the salvations that took place while they were there in that town. And they couldn't take away the fact that the Holy Spirit was now indwelling these people. And there were people that had stayed behind, that were teaching these people, that were helping them, that were getting this church established. So even though the newspapers were saying, Paul ran out of town, Paul's ministry failed, This it was bad, the truth is, it was not in vain. Things were accomplished. Good things happened. And he and so he references, you know, hey, this is how I got treated when I was in Philippi. And you know what? When we came to you, there was a whole lot of contention. And they're saying bad things about us right now. But let me tell you, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't for nothing. So he's reminding them of that. So in verse 3 says, for our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. There's so much we could say about this, but there's no doubt that what Paul is saying here when he's saying, we didn't do this, we didn't do that, I believe what he's doing is answering the accusations that were being said against them. Because remember, in Acts chapter 17, that's where it says, these which have turned the world upside down are come thither also. When they said they turned the world upside down, they were basically saying, these guys are stirring everything up and causing trouble. Now, we look at that as a compliment today, but they didn't mean it as a compliment when they said it. They were accusing them of all kinds of stuff. And so he's telling them, we weren't there deceiving you. There was no guile. You know, we we have been entrusted with the gospel. God gave us this message and God is trusting us to get it out. We need to understand that, too, as a church. In Rock Falls, God has entrusted us in this church with the gospel. You know what it's our job? to do. It's not our job to just hang on to it and conceal it. It's our job to get it out there and to spread it to as many people as we can. We have been entrusted with that, not anybody else. And so we've, we're not going to hide it. We're going to get it out there to as many people as we can. And so he says in verse 5, neither at any time used we flattering words. As ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own soul's. Because ye were dear unto us, for ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as we know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God. We have called into the kingdom of his glory. Basically, what Paul is doing right here is he's giving them a rundown of everything they did. He's saying, "You know what we did. You know how we ministered to you. You know how we loved you. You know how we how hard we worked. We weren't chargeable to you. You know we weren't there to just get something from you. We were giving everything that that we possibly could. You know what he's. I. You know what I believe he's doing with all my heart right here is he's telling them, don't believe the news." Now, I get it. I get it. They didn't have news media like like we do today. But, the, you, know, you know, okay? if I may speak figuratively here and put this into modern day language, Paul knew what was going around on social media. Paul saw the posts that people were making against him on Facebook. Paul saw their Google rating drop down to, you know, less than two stars. Paul saw all the stuff that was being said. Paul listened to the news reports from, you know, Anderson Cooper and people like that and Rachel Madcow and say he's he heard all the things that they were saying about them. And, you know, the reason pastors often worry about negative news media coverage, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, is because they're afraid people in their church are going to be dumb enough to believe it. And often they do believe it. And it's like you just want to tell people, listen, you were there. You all go to this church. And and I don't, and I know you all don't believe this stuff, but man, listen. If you all think we're a hate church, I just, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) You all know that we are an extremely loving church. We all know that it's laughable that we're on the Southern Poverty Law Center's list of hate groups. I mean, it's funny to us because we are the farthest thing from a hate group. But, you know, I'm not saying I like being on there, but, you know, I I would hate it if all of a sudden somebody saw we were on there and all of a sudden like, oh, man, I didn't know we were a hate group, and then we're dumb enough to leave. And I don't think anybody's dumb enough. I think we've, you know, done a good job on preparing people, you know, for for these things and, our, our, you know, we're, we don't have a church full of just dumb sheep, okay? I mean, it, it, that's not how it is here, but, you know, that is how it is in a lot of churches, and all these things are being said. All the videos are being made. You know, Paul saw all the YouTube videos being made about him. He saw all these people calling him a reprobate and saying all these terrible things. And he's wondering, you know, and he's, so he's just trying to tell these people in this letter, you know the truth. You were there. They weren't there. And he's, and so he's just telling them, this is what we did. You know this to be true. Don't listen to these people. And sometimes you have to do this because people sometimes start believing lies. They really do. When, you know, they shouldn't, but they do. And so the lies that were being told, I, do, I believe they're, they are an example of common accusations that we see from people today who only reveal their wicked hearts. And so what, you know, you know, what were some of these lies? Well, first off, in verse 4, it says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust of the gospel, even so we speak... Not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Okay. He didn't, they didn't do this thing trying to please men. They weren't doing things trying to be tricky. He said in verse three, it was not of deceit. And that's what people often say. They're just trying to deceive you. And I always find that, you know, that weird too when people try accusing people of being deceptive and stuff because I always tend to think that most people are at least trying to be honest. Okay, when I watched the video of a Calvinist talking about doctrine the other day, when I listened to him, even though they're a Calvinist, and I heard what he did, I was like trying to figure out in my mind, how did he come to this conclusion? Because in my mind, even though he's a Calvinist, he's trying to be honest. And so I'm, I'm listening, thinking not how is he trying to deceive us. I'm trying to think how did he come to that conclusion? I don't. I don't just naturally think they're trying to trick you. I always just think, where did they go wrong? Where are they getting messed up? And so as I listen to him, I realize this is where he's getting messed up. He's letting a textbook define this verse and this word instead of the word of God. And so to me, I hear people like him, and I'm thinking he is mistaken. He is an error. Now others, they're going to listen to that. He's just the devil he just wants everybody to go to hell with him. And that could be true, but I tend to think that he's just mistaken. You know, that that's kind of that, that's kind of the way I work. You can tell a lot about people by the accusations that they throw at others. That's how they think. When they're trying to read your mind, they're just revealing what's in their own mind. That's and you need to watch out for that. Notice how in verse 5, he says, for neither at any time use we flattering words. They tried to accuse them of not being sincere. He said, nor, um, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God has witnessed. They were trying to basically say, they're just trying to make merchandise out of you. They just want to get your money. We get that all the time. Oh, you just want people in your church because you want their money. Why, why do you always think that? Because that's what they would, that's why they would do it. That's why I would pastor a church. Cause I definitely don't love people, but I sure love their money. and so that's what they think you're just trying to get the money you know or notice in verse six it says nor of men sought we glory oh you're just looking for fame you just want that youtube fame you just want people to come listen to you and like you and think you're great say good things about you you're just trying to get youtube famous with your 5,000 subscribers and you know what i hate to break it to you that doesn't count as fame and everybody this is the great thing about social media With the platforms that are out there today that literally any of us can get with no money and no abilities, you know, we all have the ability to make ourselves feel like we're famous. And it's amazing how these things go to people's head. And when I, when I hear people start accusing me of stuff like that, it's just like, they're just telling me that's why I would do these things. That's why I would preach the things that you preach. I wouldn't do it out of conviction. I just do it to get popularity. I would, I would preach that because I want to fit in with this group, you know, because I want to be a part of this club, you know, and the truth is some of us do these things out of sincerity. You know, we've seen these guys that are leaving the IFB that like to talk about how when they would go to the meetings, how they would work up tears and try to make themselves cry, how they would do all these things to basically put on a show of spirituality and so whenever they see other people crying in a service or maybe getting emotional or something in their minds they're being fake now why do they think that because they were fake they're just revealing their own hearts did you know some people actually just are sincere some people are just kind of emotional and they get a little teary-eyed and they get a little excited when they start thinking about jesus and they don't have to force out the tears they got to hold them back because that's how they are it's real some of us you know, we make a big deal about the King James Bible because we actually believe the King James Bible is the inspired word of God. But some people do it so they can fit in a club. Some people do it because if they start going weak on the King James issue, then they're going to get kicked out of the club. And they're not sincere. But that doesn't mean everyone is not sincere. These accusations reveal the heart and all these things that Paul was getting accused of, these are all things that Jesus accused the Jews of. And listen, if Jesus accuses somebody of something, you better believe it's accurate. We often get things wrong We often apply bad motives, but Jesus Christ, he knew the hearts of people, and this is how the Jews were. They wanted to make merchandise of people. They did just want a following. They wanted those chief seats. They wanted the greetings, all those things we talked about this morning. That's what they wanted, and so the Jews, they thought, these guys are just trying to steal our thunder. They're just trying to steal our following. That's what they're trying to do. That's because that's why we've been doing these things all along, just revealing their dirty, rotten hearts. But, you know, the truth is, Paul's saying, we did get to spend some time with you. You saw what we did. You saw the work. You saw how we ministered. You were blessed. You know the truth of these things. Don't listen to the critics. Don't listen to the lies that are being said out there. And, you know, you need to be the same way here. I promise, folks, you know more about this church and what goes on in this church than some YouTuber out there that hates us. That's always trying to expose us. And the only thing they ever have to expose us is clips from sermons that I put on YouTube that you all were here and heard. But yet some people are so dumb because somebody puts a video out there and puts a negative spin on it. Oh man, I'm offended. It's amazing how many ladies today you all are supposed to be offended by how bad you've been degraded in the IP. You know, there's a lot of women out there they never they thought they were loved. They thought that they were special. They thought they had value. They thought their purity and all the things they had were a virtue. And then they got online and found some IFB haters out there. And they learned that they were degraded and abused and disrespected and all these things. And all of a sudden, they went from being happy to now they're like on drugs and all this medication and miserable because of all the abuse they suffered. People... Don't listen to them. I think you know better about what your experience has been and how you've been treated than they do. But people are so programmed today that all they've got to do, forget what you know about yourself. You're going to listen to somebody out there who's declared themselves an expert on something to tell you how you really feel and how you've really been treated. That's nuts. That is absolute. I've listened to some of these people. That didn't even know they ever got abused until they started like watching some of these channels. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I was abused too. Oh really? How were you abused? Our pastor, he was pretty mean about how women ought to dress when he would preach. You know, he'd get up, call people heifers and all these type of stuff like that. And you, listen, you know we do that kind of stuff in the IFB, but we're being funny. You know, have I ever gone up to any of you ladies and called you a heifer, said you looked like a heifer, or anything like that, or, you know, I, I don't do that. I've never, I've never, I i, you know, I do not think I make any ladies in here feel like any of those things, but sometimes I get up and I use some crazy language and stuff. Why are we doing that? We're having fun. We're being funny. And, but yet, if the right person comes along and shows a clip of that, even though you were laughing when I was saying it, after you hear them give their spin on it, I was abused. I suffered emotional and spiritual abuse. Cause, yo, know, everybody wants to use the term abuse. And there is such a thing as emotional and spiritual abuse. It's a real thing. Okay. But the thing is 99% of the time they can't talk about physical abuse and they want to be in that club of abused victims because everybody loves a victim today. So they all claim emotional and spiritual. And all you got to do is have a clip of me foaming at the mouth about something controversial. And then everybody will agree. You were abused. I can't believe you went to that church. And Apparently that kind of thing was going on in Paul's day because he's got, he's got to basically tell these people don't listen to these Jews out there lying about us. You know, the truth we were there. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have a pardon unto you, not the gospel of of God only, but our own souls because you were dear unto us. You know, we cared about you. You know that we love that we love you. So Paul is going on verses 7 through 12 reminding them of what actually happened because they did. They displayed their love. They didn't just get up and say it. They proved it. They proved that they love them. But wicked people are not capable of understanding those who are motivated by love. They don't get that. They don't understand that. Most people only see others for how they can benefit from them. That's how wicked people see other people. You know, you could. There are a lot of really wicked people that are still really nice people. You know why they're nice to other people? Because they want your money. Salespeople are really nice. You know, brother Brian, when you're trying to sell stuff to people, you're not rude, are you? <laughs> not hey, I'm not saying it's a bad profession, <laughs> but but you know, it gets pretty dishonest sometimes, don't you? I mean, this is how it is. I've never met an unfriendly salesman that treats me, you know, treats me like a jerk. You know why? because they want my money now there's there's ones out there that actually care about people thank god for those and if you find those you know use those people but it's just you know it can be deceptive and there's a lot of pastors out there too that are bad guys that are really nice to people because they want something from them and eventually it's going to come out eventually you're going to see the you'll see the truth on these things but when when people constantly accuse people of motives like this it's a red flag When I see just common accusations towards other people coming from certain individuals, I end up thinking this must be how they think. Everyone's out to get them. They're just paranoid about everything. It it reveals some stuff. So watch out for that. Verse 13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God which ye heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So notice, remember the claim I made last week where I said the the, the, the Christians in Thessalonica were just as good as the Christians in Berea, even though the Bereans as a town was more noble. Notice how Paul said, you receive the word of God. Our word, not just as the word of man, but as the word of God. And you know what? It was the word of God. Well, Paul's writing here is the word of God. You received it as truth, which effectually works in you that believe. They received the word of God here. The town as a whole didn't, but there was a group that did, and they were a great church. So this proves that many in Thessalonica, although not the town as a whole, were like the Bereans. So don't be down on the Thessalonica. So verse 14 says... For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. And I want to notice this too, because this is a new church. They haven't been around real long. This is new Christians. But notice how they became followers of the churches of God, which are in Judea. You know what they did? they copied off another church and that makes sense too because if you're just getting started as a, as a church you're not just going to naturally know what to do you know it's not that weird if we start a church and whenever and who, whenever that church gets started if they pattern their service and a lot of things same way we do it here that's a that's a pretty common thing you know and Uh, And they'll, you know, they'll eventually they'll kind of start doing some of their own stuff. But it just makes sense. We all are copying off of each other. As much as I like to make fun of the trendies, we're copying stuff, too, aren't we? You know, the style of, listen, if you think that that is unique, I got that idea from a million different churches. Everybody's doing that in in the IFB world that I don't mind identifying with. The fake stone wall, it is all over the place. When I was figuring out how to decorate this auditorium, I was just on YouTube. I'm looking up all these different churches like, I like that building. I like that look. I mean, the color scheme and everything, I copied off of other churches. And I copied off of churches that were IFB, KJV, old-fashioned, old-past style. There's a, there, there's a look that I want. You know what churches I didn't copy off of? The hipster skinny jean churches. I didn't copy off the churches with their bistro tables and their purple lights. You know why? Because I don't want to be identified with that stuff. And now, the purple light churches—all that—they copied off somebody too, but they're copying off people that I don't want to have anything to do with. And so, I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna pretend I'll copy. You know why do I wear a suit? Because this is what the good guys wear. <laughs> when, when I when I see another group out there preaching better than us, dressing a little bit different, you better believe I'm gonna copy them. I'm gonna—I'm gonna follow that stuff. Now I'm getting to the age where I probably won't ever change that much, you know, just because, you know, know, after a while, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're going to, you know, I don't, I don't foresee any drastic changes into the look and style and a lot of things, you know, coming in the future, but it doesn't mean that a hundred years from now, the good churches, they might have a little different look. And what are we doing? We're copying we're patterning ourselves after those that have proved themselves, and so that's what they did. This is a new church. Hey, what are we supposed to do? Well, this is what they do over in the church in Judea. All right, well we're doing that too. You know what songbooks do they use over there? You know what kind of what, what what version of the Bible do they use over there? You know, and they used the King James Bible in Judea. Wasn't I? <laughs> yep. I'm just joking there. <laughs> but verse 15, it translated exactly like it. I I believe that. (laughs) I believe that. Can't prove it. I haven't got a copy of the original, but I believe it. But verse 15 says, or let's go back to verse 14 and read it again. So he says, For brethren, ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Now folks, this is a very significant passage here. This, the apostle Paul would not be accepted in your modern Zionist church today. Because did you all hear what he was saying right here? He specifically mentions persecution, things that they suffered of their own countrymen, as these other churches had, of the Jews. And who was it specifically that persecuted the church of Thessalonica? We see that in Acts 17. It was the Jews. The Jews were the ones persecuting the church. It was Paul that said, are enemies, as far as the gospel goes, they are your enemies. They worked against you. They are persecuting you. They are fighting you. And he specifically says, he specifically names the Jews here, saying, these are the ones doing it. And then he goes on and he accused them of killing the Lord Jesus. How dare he do that? Well, you know how he dared? Because they did. Right. They did it. And not only did they kill Jesus, they killed their own prophets. Jesus accused them of that too, didn't he? he? He accused them of killing their own prophets. He said, and you know what? They're persecuted us. Okay? They, the Jews, they persecuted us. And they, the Jews, please not God. I thought they were the apple of his eye. I thought they were his chosen people. I thought he will bless them that bless them and curse them that curse them. And so and you know, you got these replacement theology people out there saying that that goes to us. I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And then Paul goes on to say they are persecuting us. And you know what he said? Wrath is coming upon them. Sounds like they're getting cursed for cursing us. Boy, that'll mess up some theology right there. Folks, there's no doubt who he's talking about here. I don't care how much you twist the scripture. I don't care how much dispensationalism you use. I mean, you can read Clarence Larkin and John Nelson Darby all day long, and even Peter Ruckman, and you can't get away from the fact there's no way you can spin this in a way where he's not talking about the Jews right here. He's specifically talking about the Jews. And listen to what he says. It says, Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Hey, now, what does that mean when it talks about wrath coming to the uttermost? A lot of times that word gets misused, and we always talk about, when we talk about the uttermost, we always make it like it's the farthest place in the world. But that's not what that's talking about exactly. It's talking specifically about until the end, is what it's saying. Just like in Hebrews, it's stated in, uh, I don't know if I put it in my note. yeah, in Hebrews chapter 7, In verse 25, it says, Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And when the writer of Hebrews said this, he said this in the context of you got a people that were wondering, hey, how does a one-time sacrifice work? Because they were used to annual sacrifices and the daily sacrifices. And the writer is explaining to them how the sacrifice of Jesus Christ it was a once and for all sacrifice. And because he is a high priest, that not like the other high priest who would die, since he lives forever, then it, nothing changes. He is able to save people to the uttermost or to the end, is what that means. Meaning, he is able to keep us saved. That is eternal security right there. Eternal security in the book of Hebrews And so here in 1 Thessalonians 2, when he is saying wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, he is saying God's wrath is on them till the very end. And keep that in mind, because we're going to be talking more about that as we go through this book, and we'll say more about it in a little bit. But listen, this wrath that is on them, it is because of the persecution they had done. It says in Acts 17, 5, but the Jews, which believed not, Moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So notice he specifically mentions the Jews. They were the ones that did this. It was the Jews that did this to you. We see it in Acts chapter 17. Paul calls them out in First Thessalonians 2 and he says, these people, please not God. And they are contrary to all men. Well, that's interesting because that reminds me of a prophecy about Ishmael. In Genesis chapter 16 and verse 11, it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction, and he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So notice in Acts, Paul said they're contrary to all men. And in here in Genesis, the angel's saying uh, his hand will be against every man, every man's hands against him. You know what that's called? That's called being contrary. They don't get along well with others, they don't work well with other people. And everyone wants to put Ishmael with the Muslims, but Paul didn't operate under that theology. Paul didn't operate under this theology where it's all about DNA. It's about works. Because in Galatians chapter 4, and we're not going to take time to go through there. We've gone through this many times. You all know this frontwards and backwards. But in Galatians chapter 4, Paul makes it crystal clear. Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and another by the free woman. And he specifically tells us the one of the uh, bondwoman, Hagar or Agar, She's the one that gave birth to Ishmael. And he specifically tells us that Agar is Mount Sinai. And he puts Jerusalem there. He puts the Jews, the physical Jews, they spiritually are of Ishmael. Why? Because they are of the flesh. They are not of the spirit. And Isaac, he was the child of promise. And we see that in Galatians chapter 4. And so we... As those who are of faith, the Bible specifically says, we are the children of the promise as Isaac was. Why? Because we are of faith. We are not of the bond woman, Paul said. We are of the free woman. So here's what you've got to understand about the Bible. Something that's very clear. We've gone through it over and over again. It's in, it's in Galatians chapter four. We see this in Romans chapter nine that there are a, a, you can say a special group of people that are of the flesh. Whose purpose, whose end, it was God's will for them to be the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. That's what we see in Romans 9. Now, Paul loved these people because Paul came from that group. Paul came from the physical people of Israel. And Paul said, I could wish myself were a curse for my brethren. Paul wanted Israel to be saved. In chapter 10 of Romans, he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But that nation, even though it was Paul's will for them to be saved, as a nation, they never will be saved. They are meant for destruction. Now, Romans 11 makes it crystal clear that just because you're a physical Jew doesn't mean you can't get saved as an individual. The people, the physical body of people as a whole, are going to be destroyed. God's wrath is going to come upon them. It's going to come to the uttermost. It's coming to the end but thank god any jew if they will abide not still in unbelief they can be grafted back in they can be saved that's what we see in romans 11. we don't have time to go through romans 9 10 and 11 but there there's no doubt here that paul is talking about the jews and everything he's saying it lines up with what we see in the book of romans where they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction that's what they are it says in romans 9 21 said, well i don't like that well it says hath not the powder power over the clay the same of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor what if god willing to show his wrath what if god willing to show his wrath it sounds like there's a special wrath coming from these vessels what if god willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So again, folks, you might get mad and say, well, I don't like that, that the Jews have been chosen for destruction. Well, you know what? That was God that did that. And that's a whole lot better than what the Calvinists teach, that teach that, you know, you as individuals have been chosen for destruction. Wrong. The children of Israel, the children of the flesh, those who are not of the Spirit, they have been chosen for destruction. But any one of them, they can be saved if they'll abide not still in unbelief. That's what Romans 11 is all about. We need to get that in our head. Everybody that wants to refute replacement theology and what we teach about the Jews, all they do is build straw men. They do not understand the position. They don't get it. heres Let me just briefly explain what I believe about Israel. Those who are physically of Israel and deny the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be destroyed. Any one of them, if they will abide not still in unbelief, can be saved. And so all Israel shall be saved. You know why? Because out of Zion came a deliverer named Jesus Christ, who died and he paid for their sins. They can all be saved if they'll abide not still in unbelief, but... We know that not everybody's going to be saved. And so if they don't get saved, then they are going to be destroyed. And when it comes to God's people, we have Jews and Gentiles that are a part of it. Both fallen sinners, but both who by faith has received the gift of eternal life by calling the Lord for salvation, and they're going to go to heaven. And we are God's people. Folks, we are God's people, not a group of people out there who just have a specific bloodline, supposedly, and deny Christ. That's the most ridiculous thing in the world. These people are enemies of the gospel. They have persecuted the church. They killed the Lord Jesus. They killed their own prophets. And judgment is coming. And listen, even if they don't believe everything we believe about the Jews and replacement theology, when is this going to be fulfilled? What does that mean to them? The wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. What does that mean? Because he's talking about the Jews. Why can't any of them explain Romans chapter 9 when it calls them the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? When's that going to happen? Okay, fine. You think they're all going to get saved when Jesus comes back, you know, at Armageddon. But when is this going to happen then? When is that wrath going to come upon them to the uttermost? Somebody explain that to me. Because there there's no doubt that something's coming for them. Something big is coming for them paul talked about it in romans and he talks about it in first thessalonians there's a big day of wrath coming for them and spoiler alert we'll talk about this in a few weeks it's called the day of the lord it's called the day of the lord it's coming for them and it's not going to be pretty so verse 17 because there's no doubt when christ returns there will still be a group of Jew, of those who say they are Jews and are not, but do lie and are at the synagogue of Satan, that Jesus is going to destroy. There will still be some. It says in Luke 19, 27, but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Can somebody tell me when that happens? I thought when they see Jesus coming in the clouds in Revelation 19, that they were going to see him and they were all going to be saved. That's what that means in Romans 11. They're all going to get saved and they see Jesus coming in the clouds. So who's he killing here? When they say, bring those that would not that I should reign over them. Who was that? It was the Jews. They didn't want him. They said, we have no king but Caesar. When is this going to happen? And you know, here's the funny thing too. When Jesus was given a parable, he specifically talked about the Jews. He gave that parable about the man who sent him. He sent all these prophets. They killed him. Finally, he sent his son and then they killed him. What's he going to do to those people? You know what the Jews said? He will miserably destroy those wicked sinners. Jesus basically told him, you know what? You're right. Can somebody tell me when that's going to happen in their timeline? When does that take place in Clarence Larkin's charts? We have multiple references to it. Jesus talked about in the Gospels. Paul talked about it over and over again. But nobody knows when this time is that's coming. Maybe it's because you got something wrong in your theology Maybe it's because Clarence Larkin was a nut who thought the pyramids at one time contained the secrets of the universe written on the white limestone that was on them, but all got stolen you know, several centuries ago. You all didn't know that Adam was the one that actually built those things. You all didn't know that. He was telling the history of the world from the beginning to the end because he knew his descendants were all going to be destroyed by fire someday, and so he wanted to warn all of them. You all didn't know that, did you? You know Why? You haven't been reading enough Clarence Larkin. He built another thing, too, warning everybody about the flood, but that wasn't made to survive the flood, and so that got destroyed somewhere at some point, but the pyramid was made to survive the flood. And I forgot what group it was and what century that came, and they stole all that limestone that was off there because it used to be smooth, going all the way to the top. Boy, if that had still been there, we'd, we'd have known the secrets of the universe. We'd have known all this prophecy going to the end. We'd have probably known more than what the Bible even tells us. Listen, Clarence Larkin was crazy. And that's where these people get their theology from. And we wonder why they get confused in this stuff. When we're reading stuff that's really, really clear. But anyway, we need to move on, get through the rest of this. I could talk about this, this stuff all day long. So verse 17 says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. So they didn't want to leave, but they had to. They got run out of town. Sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to, you got to retreat a little bit and you got to regroup and and uh, and plan some things. And so it says verse 18, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So Satan did not want the church in this city to succeed. He didn't want it. This was a wicked city. This was his place and he didn't like these people coming in there and shining a light in such a wicked place so verse 19 says for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of the lord jesus christ at his coming for ye are our glory and joy so right there we've got we're at the end of that chapter and paul again at the end of the chapter he makes another reference to the coming of christ and remember that too this is going to be important when we get into some of the later chapters, but I love what he tells them here. When he tells them, you know what our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing is? You know, in a crown of rejoicing, you could say, you know, some people say it's like a literal crown we're going to get someday. I think he's speaking figuratively in many ways and just saying to know that when Jesus Christ comes back, he's coming for you. You're going to be there at his return. You are going to be in the presence of the Lord at his coming. Now, think about this. Because mostly when we go through the book of 1 Thessalonians and we're looking at the coming of Christ, we're just thinking about us and getting raptured out of here, right? And, you know, that's our focus. That's what we think about. But here's what we don't think about that often because we don't live in Thessalonica during that day. We don't think about what they were dealing with during that time, and that was specifically persecution from the Jews, persecution from a people who said that they were of God and were not. Persecution from a people who deny the Lord Jesus Christ, who are trying to kill them, who are trying to stop the work that was going on. Keep all those things in mind. Paul has specifically mentioned by the Jews by name, who are their persecutors. He specifically mentioned how wrath is coming upon them unto the end. I get it. The Jews suffered some pretty horrible things in 70 AD. But was 70 AD the end? Was that the end of the world? No. No, you know what? God's not done with them. They suffered a lot of great things in 70 AD. They suffered a lot of great things in 132 AD also. There's a lot of times in history where they've suffered a lot because they're under the judgment of God. They're under the wrath of God throughout their history. We're always hearing the Christians today crying about all that the Jews have gone through throughout history. But we forget that the reason they're going through all these things is because wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, to the end. Why? Because they killed the Lord Jesus. They killed their own prophets. They persecute the Christians. Now, I don't believe that we ought to have a hand in hurting the Jews. I don't believe Christians should ever do anything to hurt any Jew. I think we ought to love them. I think we ought to try to give them the gospel. I think that's our job when it comes to them. But let me promise you, God will always deal with them. But in America, we've never really been under jurist persecution that is very open and apparent, okay? Now, if you count the fact that it's the news media always bringing the heat towards us and stirring up the crowds against us, we all know there actually is Jewish persecution of Christians in America. But we've been brainwashed into thinking it's something else. We've been brainwashed into thinking it's just the Democrats, you know, picking on us, okay? That's what we've been brainwashed into thinking. But here's the thing. They are suffering these things, for a reason. And you know what? It this is going to be what they deal with until the very end, until one of these days God finally takes care of all of them. I know that sounds mean and brutal, but that's what the Bible teaches. And you know why you you know why you don't get up or you get upset when you hear that kind of thing? Cuz you don't think you've been persecuted by them. You know, it, you would probably think a little different if they've been killing your family. You would probably think a little bit different if they had beaten you and whipped you and shamed you in public. But you know what? Because we've been listening to nut jobs like Clarence Larkin and Darby and Schofield and all these people, we've been listening to these people so long, we've got a soft spot for the persecutors. And you know, hey, if you want to have a soft spot for someone who persecutes you, by all means, go ahead. But you know, when they're killing our brethren, when they're enemies of God, you shouldn't have a soft spot for them. When they're saying the horrible things and teaching the horrible things and you're going to have a soft spot for these people, you're messed up, my friend. You've got a bad attitude. You have the wrong type of attitude towards them. This is, and so Paul specifically mentioned the wrath that's coming. So I think it's safe to say in chapter one, when he mentioned the wrath to come, that they had been delivered from, he said Christ had delivered us from the wrath to come. I believe he's referring to wrath that's coming on them because this would have been comforting notice that contrast of the jews versus the christians at christ's coming one group is going to be delivered from the wrath they're going to be glorified while another group is going to be destroyed and cast into hell so i don't like that well you would feel pretty good about that if you were the one being persecuted Listen, we're all going to feel pretty good about that one of these days when they're trying to make us take the mark of the beast. And they start killing people that we know. You know, you watch a few loved ones get their heads cut off. And all of a sudden, you're going to be like, you know what, I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back. And not only delivering us, but taking care of them. Yeah, I get it. Man, you've been, you've been listening to these little skinny jean twinkle toe preachers for so long. I mean, you're, I mean, you think Hitler was a great guy and had a chance to get saved, you know? That, that, that's how you're, you all think Jeffrey Dahmer got saved in prison and he's in heaven rejoicing with the Lord right now. That's how you all think because you've been brainwashed with all this stuff. But you know what? You're going to be thinking a little bit different when you're the one that's actually dealing with it. I'll bet you'd be thinking a little bit different if you were over in China right now and you were one of the people getting beaten and tortured in prison for your faith. I'll bet you'd think a little bit different if your wife got taken to one of these prisons where they're getting gang raped just for being a Christian. I'll bet you'd think a little bit different about Christ coming. And I think you'd probably be looking forward to Jesus Christ coming back and taking care of some people and slaying some people. But we've got a bunch of just weak Americans that have never been through anything. We've never been through anything. And so we've just got a soft spot for some of the scum of the earth. We got people today that can't stand the thought of just reprobates being thrown into hell. They can't, you know, they read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and they're crying at the end of it. What is wrong with you? You know why you think that way? Because you've never been a victim of one of these people. You've never been hurt by people like this. And we've got to understand that there are some wicked people out there that have done some horrible, horrible things and they need to be judged. And I get it. You don't care about it because you're just so desensitized to these things. You're on so many medications, you can't even get fired up about anything anymore. But let me tell you something. A holy God is seeing those things. He's keeping track of it and he's fixing to come back and take care of business. And they are going to get it. And I say, praise the Lord. You're not very Christian. Well, you know what? I'm like uh, Apostle Paul. I think I'm in pretty good company there. I don't think when Jesus is, when they he says, Bring those before me that I can slay them. I don't think he's going to be crying while he did it. You know, you know why? All the tears were shed before. He already died on the cross for these people. And they're going to reject that and they're going to spit on him and do all that he's not going to have any problem at all taking care of them. It's not when he's when he treads the wine press of the fierceness of his wrath like we see in Revelation 19, he's not going to do it with a tear. His eyes are going to be as a flame of fire. He's coming back and he's mad. And man, I'm looking forward to it, folks. These people, they've got it coming. We all loved it. We all were so satisfied when that idiot was in the gas station. I mean, just saying all that horrible racist stuff to that black guy. And then he took that twisted T and nailed him over the head. We all love that. You know why? Because he had it coming. I hope that guy didn't get in any trouble for hitting him like that. You shouldn't hit people. I know, but you shouldn't talk to people like that either. And you do that long enough. Somebody's going to clunk you over the head with a twisted T. And I don't think he should use twisted T either. I don't think he should have been buying that stuff. But you know what? At least nobody got to drink that twisted tea, so it was better than doing a Dr. Pepper or something like that, and letting good stuff go to waste. But you know, e- either way, these people got it coming. They've got, they have it coming. Say, so I don't think they do. Listen, folks, we know where the trash in the news media is coming from. We know who's putting all this trash out in Hollywood. We know who stirs people up against churches like ours. We know who's doing all this stuff. These are haters of God, and they are going to get it. And so you know what Paul's doing in this chapter? He is comforting them with the fact that God is going to destroy their enemies, the Jews, one of these days. Persecution is not fun for anyone, but especially it would have been difficult for a group of young Christians. And so we should comfort ourselves with the prom- with God, uh, you know, the promises of God including the promises he's going to take care of our enemies. And you know what? I think we need to do that. I think if we you know, try to just be all passive and not think about all these terrible, destructive things that are coming, we might get tempted to take matter into our own hands. And we're not, that's not going to help. It's not our place for vengeance. As much as I hate some of this stuff, you know what, if I just, we're going to go on a shooting spree or something like that, I'm not going to accomplish much. I'm not going to get near things done. I'm just going to, I'm just going to save up and I'm going to wait for Armageddon. And when it comes... We're going to be with the Lord, and we're going to watch, and it's going to be a great show. It is going to be bloodier than any movie that you've ever seen before. And it is going to be 100% just. And anyone who gets offended by what I've said in this message, you are that way because you've never been persecuted. You know, you go talk to some people in China. You go listen to the testimonies of some of these people that have suffered horrible things. And then ask them if they're offended at talking about these things. You know what? I think you'll encourage their hearts if you do that, because that's what Paul was trying to do to the Thessalonians there. So let's learn from this. So, dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the comfort that it gives us. We thank you for uh, the fact that you revealed to us what you're going to do to those who uh, persecuted your people. Lord, there's so much evil that has been done. By these people, and Lord, we, we live in a, a twisted world where there's a lot of bad theology that literally has people praising uh, these enemies of you. And dear God, I pray you'll just wake people up in this area. Lord, they're, they're deceiving so many people right now, and they've done so much wickedness. And Lord, I just pray you'll help us to just comfort ourselves in the fact that you're going to take care of them one of these days, and you'll help us to just try to be loving and compassionate and be a witness and tell them uh, about you, and pray we can uh, see some saved before you return. In your name we pray. Amen.